Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast from The Lancet. It's March the 8th and I'm Vanya Wisdom. This month I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Werner van der Poeje, a Senior Oncology Consultant at the National Centre for Radiotherapy, Oncology and Nuclear Medicine, affiliated with the University of Ghana in Accra. Dr. Van der Poeje is the female pioneer oncologist in the West African region and she is passionate about research on holistic approaches to cancer care considering economic, social, cultural and psychological factors of the patients. With us today, we also have Dr. Isabel Suryomataram, who is the Deputy Head of Cancer Surveillance Branch at the International Agency for Research on Cancer. She's a medical epidemiologist with a special interest in cancer causes, prevention and outcome. Both Dr. Suryomataram and Dr. Van der Poeje are co-chairs of the ongoing Lancet Commission on Women and Cancer. Today is a very special day, the International Women Day, and we felt that this is is a great opportunity to raise awareness on women's health and learn more about the contribution of the Women and Cancer Commission in advancing women's health. This commission has been ongoing for about a year and a half and we are excited with the opportunity to hear about the work they are doing. A warm welcome to Isabel and Werner. Thanks for being with us today. Can you tell us what motivated you to start working on women and cancer and what led to the Lancet Commission on Women and Cancer? Thank you so much, Vanya, and thank you so much for the opportunity then to speak on this uh, special day. Uh, so the Commission on Women and Cancer is really driven by the disproportionate impact of cancer of the lives and the livelihoods of women. Today, for the first time, breast cancer among women surpassed lung cancer as the most common, common cancer globally. Two-thirds of all cancer deaths under 50 years old happen to women. Further to the impact of cancer among women themselves as a disease, uh, there, there are impacts of cancer also for the societies. Women also play very important roles in their families and communities, for example. That's very interesting to hear. So what are the main questions you're trying to answer in the commission? I would say is the intersectionalism between being a female or female gender, I'll put it in brackets now as things are changing, and cancer. And there are so many facets to it in that um, how do women, how do women manage a diagnosis of cancer? Women are caregivers. How do they manage taking care of the families? How do they manage with their, um, uh, their earning capacities? Because we know most women actually carry their own. You know, and then also how are they perceived in the hospitals? Does anybody take care of them just because they're women? How different are they compared to the men? And are policymakers making any extra efforts to make sure that women, women are treated differently? Because there are obvious differences from the data that we have. Would that impact, would that make women's outcomes better? How can we reduce the impact of cancer on humanity just by taking care of the women? Because like you said, more than half of these women are the ones who have cancer. So there's a lot of things going on and it's not just about just a human being and cancer, but again, the gender has something to do with the outcome, the uh, prevention, uh, um, survival. There are so many things that, that so many multifacets that need to be taken care. Of. And I think it's time to bring um, the attention to this um, worldwide. Thanks, Werner. That's very interesting. Very interesting to hear that you're trying uh, to to look at 
cancer in a lens that is not just a biomedical lens. You're looking at it with the angle of a societal impact and um, the more broader uh, impact of cancer than just the, the, the clinical and um, medical uh, issues. So I think um, that also in your um, answer, you telling us about the difference in gender differences, which we also see not just in outcomes, but just in inequalities in cancer care. Um, would you like to tell us a bit more about the cancer disparities we see um, that are uh, associated with uh, uh, the gender, in this case with women? So um, I'll take, uh, to answer that question, I'll take one example, uh, perhaps then for, from cervical cancer. There's a lot of move movement today globally on the elimination of cervical cancer, so I think that's a, a good example to take here. So. Just for cervical cancer, this is one of the most preventable cancer in terms of as a disease suffering, but, but also as a, prima, a cause of premature mortality. It continues to persist. It's one of the most important cancer among women today. And it is still the leading cause of cancer death in a lot of countries, especially in sub-Saharan Africa. It is not only a disease in low- and middle-income countries. Uh, cervical cancer continues to be common uh, in high-income countries as well, as well, especially then among um, disadvantaged population, underserved population. Just taking an example here, women of color, women of, uh, who are living in poverty, marginalized women everywhere including refugees and also migrants. It shows really well the intersectionality of gender inequality, which we will hope to tackle as well in this commission. Thank you, Isabel. Talking about uh, inequalities, we also see inequalities in the cancer care health workforce. Is this something you're going to address in the commission as well? And uh, what do you think are the major points to address when uh, trying to tackle gender inequity in the health force? So we see that a lot of women make up the, the workforce, not just for cancer, but for everything in terms of health. And unfortunately, most of them are undocumented, you know, uh, workforce, like the, uh, the assistant, the caregivers, nobody really documents what they do, what their outcomes are, whether they are salaried equivalently, like somebody who works in the, in the government service, but they carry a lot on their shoulders. How does this impact their outputs in the society or towards human resource in the country, which actually translates into the economic strength of the country? Nobody really um, quantifies this. And when it comes to cancer care, you also have the emotional burden of these women. Women already burdened based on their families, they're taking care of children, even providing financially for them, unfortunately, as single mothers. How does this impact them? You know, cancer care is very, very emotional. What is additional impact? And how does it impact what they give out in society and also as a, into the growth of their countries as a whole? Secondly, women also actually achieve a lot in cancer care, in research, as leaders, as mentors, but nobody really actually appreciates this. Women are actually overshadowed so many so often by men that they work with, even for equal output. Unfortunately, in most countries, not mine, fortunately, that women actually, women caregivers, women in the cancer care workforce, including physicians, actually may have less pay than their male counterparts. How does it affect how they take care of their cancer patients? Also, not just that, 
we have a lot of patients who are women, cancer patients who are women. They're taken care of by women or by men. How does this impact the outcome? How, how does this balance out in emotional capabilities? Our, our, not just physicians, but pharmacists, um, psychologists, um, nurses. How does this impact in the outcome? We know the social burden of a woman with cancer is heavy. And who best to be able to help them to iron this out? I think the women are best placed. But how often are the women put in leadership positions to be able to direct how this care is given? especially as most of the cancers actually are occurring in women. So there's a lot of disparities, inequalities in the cancer care workforce for women, unfortunately. We are actually um, not vis visible, you know, in terms of our research, our productivity, everything is kind of like overshadowed just because you're a woman. And I think it's about the time that the narrative needs to change. You see how, because we are mentors to our young you know, children. And I think we need this to move all women forward. We can do just as well as men do, but this has been overshadowed for too long. And I think this is very important. And we're going to try hard to bring this out. Thanks, Verna. I think this leads me to the next question. So do you think what kind of gender-tailed approaches could you, could you envisage to have in place to, to address this in terms of uh, cancer policy? Are there any examples you would like to highlight that you think are realistic and feasible to implement in the near future? This is a very interesting question. Um, I think there's really this common belief, it's almost a myth that health policies care, uh, including cancer policies and cancer care are gender neutral, which is not true at all. There are really few gender-sensitive uh, policies exist today that take into account the multiple facets of women's role, either them from the biological factor, social, occupational, and uh, familial role that women take. Not to give too much about the commission, but then we really need a systematic approach and an assessment to, to this gender-sensitive cancer policy especially to be able to see where then the gap and what, the, how then to move forward. Just an example, uh, Verna already mentioned this before. In the commission, we will look and try then to assess what is then the proportion of women leaders? Uh, how much are women involved in policy making in public health and oncology? So then in the future, we might then take a more equitable uh, decisions and also then in driving the, the policy itself that women are involved where then, um, where then a lot of, of the decision will actually impact women's life and livelihoods. Thanks, Isabel. That's uh, very interesting. All the, the work you're doing at the Commission sounds really exciting and really is a major undertaking. The Lancet is delighted to have you uh, leading this, uh, this work. When, when are we going to be able to see the um, final report of your Commission? <laughs> it, it'll be exciting to see this being released on the 8th of March in 2023 as the International um, Day for Women. And I think that will lead towards everybody to appreciate women better and most importantly in the cancer arena, I would say worldwide, globally. Of course, unfortunately, most people in low to middle income bear the brunt of the problems, but you, you'd be surprised what you find happens in high uh, to middle income countries. I think this would be exciting to see in the commission what is going to come out of this and the way forward and how we are going to make sure that people uh, hear our voice and then 
effect the changes. It's just, it's just amazing how all of a sudden my eyes are open now. I guess when saw a manal yesterday, I didn't even know there was anything like that, but I'm like, oh my God, look at what is happening here. And I think these are some of the things that I'm, this commission is going to open up our eyes as women to see where we can stand high and tall, you know, and be equal production, equally productive in, in the cancer care workforce to move things forward. So I think watch out, watch out for the space on the 8th of March, 2023. Thanks so much, Verna and Isabel. That's very, very exciting. And yeah, we look forward to watch this countdown until uh, a year time from now. Thanks very much for being with us today. You can follow the updates on the Lancet Women and Cancer Commission on womenandcancercommission.org. Thank you to Isabel and Verna, and thank you for listening to this episode of In Conversation With. Remember, you can subscribe to In Conversation With The Lancet wherever you usually get your podcasts.